Hi everyone, uh, this is Mike Mandel, and I'm coming to you from Tom Stecker's house. And what we're trying to do is bring a conversation about social emotional learning to a lot of different people that may not have heard it, may not have understood it, um, or just interested in learning more about it. Um, Tom has done a lot of work on a blog and really getting some of his ideas and uh, some writing out there. And I'd suggested to him that spoken word is such a strength for him. This is our first try in a series of uh, hopefully podcasts. And we really wanted to start talking about social emotional learning as a whole and what it really means for us as educators and then also for the students that we interact with. Mike, I'm really happy to be doing this with you. I'm thrilled to be doing this. Thanks for leading the way in this process. And I, I really do feel most comfortable in conversation. So thanks for allowing that to happen. Uh, the idea of social-emotional learning is not new. So this, this idea that we talk about today in the research, uh, that's primarily from two sources. One is the Collaborative for Academic Social-Emotional Earning, CASEL.org. They have a home base at Rutgers. They have a home base at the University of Illinois. So castle.org is probably the preeminent organization today for research on what you and I and thousands of other educators refer to as social-emotional learning. The other research that I go to and many of my colleagues go to that are in leadership roles in schools is Search Institute. And their focus is not what's wrong with kids, but what's right with kids looking at developmental assets, both internal, uh, they identify them as resiliency skills, and external protective factors. However, having said that, where we are today, social emotional learning has been around since human beings have been around. So, what, what, you know, every great innovation, fire to uh, the computer, to this technology we're working with today had its source in this creative, inventive, uh, mind-stretching and soul-stretching thing we call a human being. And it, when you were in uh, Newman University's philosophy uh, of leadership class, you know, we studied Socrates, we studied Plato, we studied Aristotle as beginning points. So this isn't new. In my life experience, what we call social-emotional learning today really began in the late 60s, when I was just a young man coming up, dreaming to be a teacher, where you were a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. And the classic book then was Values Clarification, written by Sid Simon, Lee Howe, and Howie Kirschenbaum. Temple University, which you are alumnus of, and University of Massachusetts. And that book was one of the first that said, wait a minute, it's not enough just to teach the academic side. It's not enough only to appeal to the cognitive. We need to expand this. Again, the, the, the concept whole child education was not being used then. It's used now. ASCD, Association of Supervision and Curriculum Development, is really passionate about whole child education, as are we. From values clarifications, that began to start to really gain a voice in school systems across this country. Now, now at this time in the early 70s, I am a young teacher. I'm teaching uh, English, I'm teaching psychology, 
And uh, for some reason, somebody actually had me teaching religion for a semester. I'm still, still not figuring <laughs> that out. But they're, they're, they had the first backlash. So parents saying to school districts, to school boards and administrators, what right do you have to teach my, my child values? Whose values are you teaching? So often what I've experienced in 43 years of education in, in, this, in this business, in this service, is that whenever there's a backlash, we run away in fear. Educational leaders really like to be approved of. And so we started to evolve with new ideas. So words like humanistic edu education, affective education. And then George Brown at the University of California talked about confluent education, meaning the confluence, the coming together of the cognitive and the affective. That was a real genuine precursor of what you and I today are talking about in social-emotional learning. We all know the powerful backlashes we've had, the no child left behind, which has left thousands, if not millions of ch children behind. Uh, every school, every classroom, every child is more than a test score. And there's absolutely no research at all that says standardized testing is effective for learning. Yet we have tremendous amounts of research that says social-emotional learning, when it's integrated, that's the key, when it's integrated into the academic content, we cannot let it stand alone. When I was your age, in, well, even younger than you, in my early 20s, I was one of those teachers that wanted to do this work, but I didn't know how to integrate it. So it was a special event. It was a uh, a Friday afternoon activity. Uh, it's raining. We can't go outside. Let's do this. So it, it leaned towards fun. It had the social emotional components, but we never integrated into the academics. Now we know that if I want to pull the great research that Castle is showing us today, which we'll talk about in this podcast, I have to integrate it. It's interesting that you you talk about. Um the research associated with this, because I know a lot of people who um, don't have the experience with it think of it as something that's not data-driven, something that can't really be measured. Um, so it's, it's nice to talk about, you know, there's very concrete effects that mm -hmm. come from implementing these things. It is very data-driven. It's very research-oriented, and that's new. So, so that old pushback of, well, we have no research, that's just flat out not true anymore. And so here's, here's a snapshot. This is just a snapshot. What we absolutely know, again, this is predominantly from CASEL, Collaborative for Academic Social Emotional Learning. We know that, it can, that when we integrate, keyword, integrate the social emotional concepts with the academic concepts, that my capacity for learning increases. I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm simply a, te a teacher. But we have three brains. I have my reptilian brain, fight and flight. So you're coming out of directing Camp Rainbow this week. Yes. Children who live all under the poverty level. Mm -hmm. Right? So children who we can say, because they're trying to survive on any given day, please correct me if I'm wrong, 
And those children are in every single school system in America. Everyone, whether I'm in public school, private school, parochial school, charter school. Children who are underprivileged, under-resourced would be the language of the day. We know that when we provide those children and all children with the resources, physical, nutritional, mental, emotional, social, spiritual resources to not just survive, but at begin to thrive, that I go now past my reptilian needs. I now am at my mammalian needs. Feed me. It's a hot day. Can I have a cold drink of water? It's 4.30. Can I have a snack? Uh, what time am I get in bed tonight? I need to get up at 5.30 tomorrow morning. I better make sure I have eight hours of sleep. I'm going to bed at 9.30 tonight. Basic human needs, mammalian needs. Be nice to me. Make sure I have my food needs. Make sure I have my emotional needs. Make sure I have my social needs met. Social-emotional learning, physical safety and emotional safety are key components to my success academically. Now we come, for me, to the most exciting part of this, neocortex development. That's the, that's the analytical brain. That's the higher-order, adult-thinking, creative, innovative brain that brings us this technology we're using today, that brings us the internet, that brings us Google, that brings us Apple, that brings us all these incredible inventions from electric light to, to everything we're doing here today. We know what grows that brain. Harvard Medical School now 20 years ago identified three things. Every single day for my neocortex to grow, it's, in terms of our evolution, it's still new. It's still a new brain. Mm -hmm. I need to be creative every day. I need to be engaged in creative pursuits. Now, my wife, your friend, Sandra, is a retired art teacher. Yes, we want to respect the arts and theater and, and dance and poetry, but we need to think of creat creativity light years beyond that. So uh, my youngest son, your friend Christian, yes. is an engineer. He's a non-reader. He's 30 years old. He's completely dyslexic. He designs ropes courses. He builds ropes courses. He, he is so abundant with problem-based and discovery-based learning activities, I can't keep up with his imagination. Creativity from a non-reader is growing that neocortex. The other piece piggybacked right on creativity from the, from the Harvard medical data, problem-solving. I need to be engaged with problem solving every day. So when you were working with your, your facilitation team at Camp Rainbow this week, I bet you you were collaboratively solving interpersonal and programmatic problems every day, yes? Yeah, that's actually what I was thinking about as you're going through this. Because as you talk about meeting those other needs first before you can go on to the higher order thinking. Um, I really found that until the, the staff would come to me and say, you know, this is how I'm feeling right now. You know, I'm not, I'm not in a safe place emotionally. I can't perform and meet the expectations that you have for me because I have this holding me back. 
you just said something really important. First of all, you described a staff that feels emotionally safe enough to come to you and tell them, here's what's happening with me emotionally. Here's what's happening with me socially. And as the director and as a collaborative team, you all know that's going to get in the way of the success of your daily product, whatever that may be, whatever skills you're trying to teach the children this week. Mm -hmm. The same exact wisdom is needed for every principal and every administrator in our country today. To know that they have this brilliantly talented, deeply dedicated staff. But if I don't take care of my adult staff's social and emotional needs, they and subsequently our children, our learners, can never accomplish all that they can be. So you're right, that has to come first. The social emotional learning research says that, the brain development research says that, and what I have known and read from every good researcher in the, in the area of leadership says the same thing. So we talked about neocortex development with creativity, with problem solving, and the third thing, gets a bad rap in many schools today. Play. Play is just a different word for full engagement. It's amazing to me that the word play frightens so many people. We see it as frivolous and silly. If you look at play from infancy, my, my wife went down to visit a friend who has a, um, a 10-month-old baby girl, just starting to walk, just starting to put her hands on things starting to play. Mm -hmm. She's appropriately starting to play her way through the discovery of life. That never ends. So we know what are one of the most important things that prevents Alzheimer's as an elderly person being fully engaged, mm -hmm. doing crossword puzzles, playing, playing Sudoku, playing, reading, engaging in arts, engaging in physical activity. The human animal is designed to play. You see it in your dog. Yeah. What makes him happy? Playing together, going for a run together. He responds to love. Mm -hmm. He gives love completely, yes. Yeah. Yes, that's, Absolutely. A, that's what an animal does. Mm -hmm. We're animals. We're animals. And I mean mm -hmm. that with all the respect I, I can. We need to be loved, we need to be cared for, and we need to play. And I love that you used my dog, Nash, as an example, because I've noticed that if I don't give him that play, that you know, engagement, then he'll get it in other ways. So if I don't take him for a walk, I turn around and he's up on my counter and he's you know, eating my dinner. Uh -huh. And then he looks at me and I know he's trying to get my attention. Yes. So it's the fact that they dogs, people, whoever they are, they're going to seek out that engagement in any way that they can. Yeah. And if, if educators are afraid to provide that for them, yeah. students are going to get it anyway, but it's not going to be in a productive way that's going to, to help them with their education. And, and we have a lifetime of history that bears that out. So in, in my, just in my professional life, so here we have not Nash, your German shepherd, but a little boy or a little girl who just wants to be engaged, who wants to be cared for, who wants to be attended to and accepted, like every other human being on this planet, every single one of us, no matter what we look like, no matter how old we are, no matter what our skin color is, 
no matter what our faith is or is not, every human being has those basic needs. Maslow told us about that. So when you're not attending to Nash's needs, he's going to get up on the counter and eat your dinner and look at you like, you paying attention, buddy? So is that eight-year-old? So is that 12-year-old? So is that 18-year-old? And over the course of my life, that's come in the form of drug addiction, alcoholism, depression, suicide. So many flavors of mental health concerns that I can't even name them all in this short podcast. Racism, sexism, bullying, harassment, hazing, violence. And we put millions, if not billions of dollars into criminalizing the child or an adult's behavior because they didn't get their needs met. And I'm not going to say the answer is simple, but the answers exist. Start building community in our classrooms, in our school buildings, in our school districts, and then in the entire neighborhood. And those are achievable goals. We're working in school districts now that are doing that. Some of the other research. So I want to make sure that we hit this before this, this session ends. And please make sure I mention the next time we're together, some of the school districts that really do us an exemplary work. So our, our, listeners, our listeners can learn from that. Sure. Uh, so capacity for learning increases was the integration of social-emotional learning. Mastery of subject material means I am a better math learner. I'm a better science learner. I'm a better social studies, language, arts learner when the integrated integration of my social-emotional needs, my humanity, is there with the content. Motivation to learn increase. I want to be here. Now it's exciting. Now I'm not listening to some person drone on in a lecture style with the same doggone lecture they've given for 25 years. It's in a live classroom. As a student, I am teaching as much as I'm learning. It's a collaborative give and take, just like you and your staff at Camp Rainbow right now. And as you just said, everybody thrives. Everybody thrives when that happens. I want to be in school. Commitment to school increases. So attendance improves. And for, for I know that you and I have talked about you wanting to be an administrator someday. This is key for administration. Improved, intent, improved attendance means more money. Schools have more financial resources when attendance goes up. That, that's important to everybody. And the last piece, time devoted to schoolwork increases. On the flip side, as we look at all those things increasing, what we know decreases or reductions, suspensions go down, expulsions go down. Again, tie that to all those social challenges I, I, I gave a litany of a few moments ago. All that decreases. This is the SEL research now. This is not Tom's opinion. This is the SEL research now a good 20 years into this. And we know that grade retentions decrease. So I have more children graduating. I have more children getting into the world of work. I, I, I now am asking a question. Whenever I had the pleasure of doing an administrative retreat or a board retreat, I've got one coming up in a neighboring district next week. 
I, I, I asked two questions. One, I asked what's essential. As, a, as an educational leader, administrator, board member, what's essential? And I hear words like respect, responsibility, healthy relationships. Uh, I hear trust. Uh, I hear hard work. I hear perseverance. I've never once heard from any educational leader or any business leader or any industrial leader. When I ask what's essential, I've never had anybody ever tell me the higher the test scores, the better. That's not real. That's a made up design by corporations that are selling tests. And our political agendas moved us in that direction the past 20 years. It's time for courageous educators to step up and talk about what's essential. The second question I ask, what kind of employees do you want? Every single characteristic, every single trait, every single quality, social and emotional learning skills. This is where we need to go as a country. Yeah, it's interesting because as a teacher, you feel that you're being assessed on the academic performance of your students. So even when, and I was actually a little bit surprised to hear what kind of answers you get when you talk to administration, um, because I have no bias against them, but you know, you think why are we being assessed on something that isn't the most important like goal of what we're doing with children? You're being assessed on that because our colleagues, our friends, of which I have many, that are school administrators, leaders, and decision makers, are under the same challenge and pressure and stress that you're under. Uh, So the Department of Education uh, in Washington, the Department of Education in Harrisburg, here we are in Pennsylvania, but I work in 30 states and a couple other countries. In this country, the various politics is towards standardized testing or high stakes testing. Nobody has a disagreement with an honest assessment. But pick one. We now have four to six weeks of testing where it's taking away from teaching and learning. And everybody knows that. Everyone knows it's inappropriate. But I'm, my life is blessed because now at 64 years old, I'm getting to work with courageous superintendents, courageous board members, courageous administrators who are saying, you know what? We're in the 98 percentile. We can't get any better. And that's going to continue. I've got good teachers doing great work. Your, your home school district, almost every school district in southeastern Pennsylvania where we sit right now, they can't do much better. However, everybody can improve socially and emotionally. And what we now know, here, we'll end on this piece because I find this so, so fascinating. What we now know, when I integrate the social and emotional into the academic content, standardized test scores rise by 11 to 17 percent points. So even that old bugaboo of, ah, are they going to pass the test? The answer is yes. Actually, they'll improve will be integrate the social emotional into the academic. Mm-hmm. And I like that you 
end with that statement because you're not saying that we need this ridiculously huge overhaul where we revamp everything, but that even with the way that things are now in education, these other social emotional pieces can happen and actually improve the system that you know people aren't so happy with. It's actually a huge step in the correct direction. We, thank you for saying that. We do not need an overhaul. We need to go back to teaching and learning. We need to go back to respecting, and I'll even go further, revering the classroom teacher, the special ed teacher like yourself, and all these, under, all these other wonderful special educators, men and women that I've had the privilege to work with in schools and in my graduate courses, who are going way beyond their job description every day, who are not only teaching children, but healing children's lives. We need to respect the custodian, the cafeteria worker, the aides. Every single person in the school district has value. And the more we can recognize that and allow them to share their gifts and share their talents, children have no choice but to thrive. Because again, what does the human being thrive on? Love, affection, support, and engagement. Thank you, Mike. Absolutely. Tom, thank you for taking us through social emotional learning through your lens and giving us a better idea of what that looks like. Um, I'm really glad that you touched on the fact that these things not only have to be incorporated, but they have to be integrated into yes. what we're doing. And I'm hoping that one of our podcasts coming up soon is going to look into how you begin that process. Um, I know that every time you send me an email, down at the bottom, there's a certain quote. Could you tell us what that is? Uh, let's see if I remember. It's, uh, it's probably Teilhard de Chardin. It's, it's correct? Uh, yes. Okay. So uh, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Good. <laughs> and, and I think that's the essence of, of, of our challenge. We are spiritual beings. Which means, in my mind, as I, as I have read Deschardin my whole life, it means to me, we are spiritual beings, which we are absolute, unconditional love. And I think that's where community starts. I agree, my friend. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you again. And um, to everybody listening, we'll be back soon, hopefully. And uh, we look forward to any comments or feedback that you have or anything that you'd like to hear spoken about. Please let us know.